So uh, welcome all of you once again. Uh, very excited to have uh, you know our common friends uh, and uh, you know people who like our platform with the kind of speakers that we have been curating over the last uh, 22 weeks. This is our 22nd webinar. Uh, like to thank each one of you for uh, joining in and trusting us to get some unique insights on entrepreneurship, sales leadership, and on growth marketing. So today we have uh, Anurag uh, as well, uh, who's joined us from Singapore. Anurag is the general manager, APAC and uh, Japan uh, from Vimo. And uh, you know, before I jump in and give his introduction, you know, let's uh, let's jump in and uh, hear it from him. Without further ado, uh, Anurag, welcome once again. Thank you so much for coming on to Pitch Camp. Uh, we have had Roshan to be part of this uh, series uh, from your uh, marketing uh, leadership team. Uh, very excited to hear uh, your thoughts. I know you are in Singapore, uh, and it's getting uh, you know, it's, it's right into your evening. So I appreciate you taking time and being on Pitch Camp. No, my pleasure, Vimlesh. Thank you again for having me here. Um, re really uh, nice, and thank you everyone for joining. Uh, you know, hopefully the session will keep try and keep it interactive, and uh, you know, if we can have a conversation, uh, will be great value for even me because. And part of the reason I was telling Bimlesh, uh, you know, let's not do presentations is because we would like it to be more conversational in nature. A uh, quick background um, uh, for me, uh, I've been mostly been in technology sector for more than 17 plus years. Um, I've been running large teams for about seven plus years now. It's always been in technology companies. Uh, so sales largely was in started off with Microsoft. I worked with HCL. Uh, with a German company called Software AG, Cofax in the US, uh, again, a US company. And after I'd worked in a lot of these corporates, uh, I got connected to the CEO of uh, Wymo, which is a Bangalore headquartered company, was a Bangalore headquartered company through a common VC friend. And it started off with more of uh, exploration, exploration of the markets outside of India, but very quickly it turned into, you know, why don't you come and join us and head sales for us? I thought the product was very fascinating and wanted to get this the startup experience, which uh, I've definitely got. I've lost more than half my hair, uh, <coughs> but it's uh, it's been a fascinating journey in the last two and a half years I've been with Vimo. I started as the first employee outside of India, and we have uh, I think we have tripled our revenues in <coughs> India alone, and we have expanded into seven other countries. We raised a Series B from Sequoia Capital and Emergence Capital um, last year. So we moved our headquarters to the US on the back of that. And um, yeah, we've generally been growing about 2x every year. So it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a good story. And uh, you know, uh, I work with a very good, passionate bunch of uh, people from all across the world. And uh, we're all having fun together and learning. <laughs> with every mistake we make as well, we learn. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Anurag. I think what you said was critical. I think at the time when when you guys started, there were really few companies, uh, you know, that were getting built from grounds up from India and trying to sell SaaS at an enterprise level in India and outside India, right? And uh, you know, uh, kudos to you and the team at uh, at Vimo to to reach this uh, milestones of growth. No, thanks. So, 
So fantastic. So jumping, uh, jumping in, you know, today's uh, topic is going to be on uh, revenue management for high growth in B2B enterprise startups. So talk to us about, you know, uh, the journey from a sales professional perspective, right? So, you know, I think most of our topics are going to be around uh, kind of mirroring your journey when you joined at Vimo and taking through that uh, forward, right? So breaking that down into what was a state when you came in and you know what were the some of the things that you saw from a sales point of view the you know the customer profile the target markets positioning uh, you know sales decks uh, you know uh, and so on and so forth so talk us through that process and, and we'll we'll take it forward from there yeah sure so uh, so i joined um, as i said about two and a half years ago and uh, Vimo was already uh, there for about uh, four plus years uh, when I joined them. But the first one year, they were kind of trying to find out, you know, what will work, what will not work. And uh, post that, uh, you know, Yamini, who's the CEO, and Venkat, who's the CTO, they were batchmates in engineering. And then they went, you know, business to McKinsey, Yamini, and uh, Venkat to Google. And so, you know, when they got together to create Vimo, it was a confluence of very complementary skills. So they did a fantastic job in building out the product in India uh, with some of the key customers that we had already. So when I joined, the base was already there in India, right? And there were a bunch of conversations that were happening in Asia, but it was all done remotely, right? And people would fly in, fly out. And most of the folks who were doing this uh, didn't really come with the Asia experience before. And I think that's really where we said, okay, let's get together and see how we can grow this. Um, to your point, at one point I, I never thought about was sales decks, right? And you, I remember since you brought it up, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, very, uh, the messaging that we had two and a half years to the messaging that we have now is like poles apart, right? And it continues to evolve with every quarter, every year as well. Um, I think, uh, so some of the things that I thought we'll talk about, right, is the evolution of uh, generally how we have also gone from getting into the market, right? Um, we, as a company, it was quite fortunate because Yamini is, uh, uh, you know, was like a born salesperson um, because she, in fact, Emergence Capital, for example, uh, we are the only company that they've invested in, which is in Asia Pacific. All their other companies that they've invested in are were US headquartered. Um, and okay. these are the guys who are banking, who are backing Zoom and Viva CRM and a bunch of other key companies. So she's obviously she knows how to get to. She sells really at the top, being ex McKinsey, right? She's good at that. Uh, <clears throat> but when you talk about uh, uh, you know complex uh, sales process, uh, you know research shows that you have to cover at least 10.5 people is what they say on average. So between 10 to 11 people per enterprise, especially if you're in focus on the enterprise space, right? Uh, which requires you to have salespeople to actually do it, right? And when I joined, I think we had two salespeople uh, in India. So we have grown that team as well. And we are now a team of about 17 odd sales folks across these six, seven countries. Um, and uh, the evolution of who we are after also has changed as well. And, uh, and I'll give you a quick, uh, maybe I should have done this earlier, but very quickly, uh, what we do as a company is we sell to large organizations who have distributed field sales teams and we become uh, a mobile solution for them to actually be able to manage their sales activities better. 
and uh, that is the platform that we provide and then we customize and configure that platform for various customers and we make them more productive and there's a lot of analytics that goes into providing them that that productivity gains um Fantastic. in terms of the nature of what we sell uh, you know large sales field teams are mostly found in financial services companies right so banks and insurance companies uh, have become our mainstay but when i speak about evolution that is not how we started right especially when you get into new territories when we were in india and we first set up singapore the immediate thought process was okay we have to go and sell to people who have sales teams so the thought process was let's go calling on to those folks there is a hit somewhere let's sell it right and we made some mistakes along the way and we further refined the ideal customer profile as we moved along so for example uh, the first customer we had in singapore was uh, a very heavy which meant that they mostly used the portal more than the app and as a company we were always very focused on app right um, so that really uh, made us realize okay this is not a good use case right so we need to move on so we further refined that use case further down to uh, you know let's talk about field sales only now field sales for us uh, we started looking at a lot of other industries we looked at telcos we looked at uh, you know looked, did a lot of work with startups because startups sometimes have uh, field sales people who are moving around uh, but very quickly you start you start eliminating that right? okay b2b is not where we are strong at uh, non financial services is not where we are strong at because of various reasons they either have legacy software the way their sales people work is not our ideal customer profile and over time what we have done is we have brought it down to a level where we are very clear about uh, who is our ideal customer profile right um, and it's not easy so that's my you know for people who are starting off on this call and who have been struggling with that it's very when when there is an interest shown by someone right it's very easy to go out and say uh, yeah this is what i do this is what i have and you spend start spending a lot of sales energy with them but then a lot of that pipe will get dropped off so one of the things that you have to start where at least we used to keep thinking about was how do we make sure that uh, the conversion rates are becoming better and better over time right and the way to do that is to make sure that the quality of pipe that we are creating top of funnel uh, is good quality and uh, we have had various measures that we put in place to be able to do that one of that is identifying the ideal customer profile and there are other various measures like account based marketing and being very selective about the kind of folks that we push through the funnel um so right. we see much more deal conversions as well so that's like the first thing i wanted to touch upon interesting awesome so i think uh, you know so give us give us an example of your current how does your current uh, ideal customer profile look like now so uh, good question i mean if i were to put it as an elevator pitch right it's like uh, uh, we focus on distributed field sales teams in financial services companies who have high velocity sales processes right so what that okay. means is uh, we don't even and that's a very good question because uh, in your defined customer segment uh, maybe not every line of business is going to be relevant right so you also have to start defining who is it that you are after so for example if i when we go and sell to a bank uh, we know off the bat a private banking use case is not relevant for us because they don't do high velocity sales they maybe do right. two meetings a week with the you know customers who have 
you know uh, millions of dollars right so uh, and most of the deals are on a golf course or on a yacht so it's it's not uh, something that we fit in with but priority banking or um, you know relationship management at a, at a branch banking level those are things that we could potentially look at so uh, so we have to start defining and refining the icp and this is also very dependent on the kind of market that we are that you need to focus on especially if you're looking to get out of uh, focus outside of india right <clears throat> got it absolutely so uh, you know so by the time uh, you know when vimo was getting uh, you know customers in india and uh, you joined in and uh, you know this refinement started to take place at what time during this journey that you zeroed in on that you need to focus on financial services primarily as your primary target market or your primary icp and then you know have the adjacent ones come in naturally when did that focus shift happen so you know i would like to say there's a lot of science behind it but frankly it's uh, it was just purely by method of elimination um and okay. i wish and i wish there was some science behind it uh, and and this is my learning in fact one of the things that i always think back when i look back at these learnings on uh, you know what we could have done better i really feel um, spending some time doing a little bit of market research and identifying a very clear icp uh, ideal customer profile is extremely important because what you don't want to be doing is um, hitting out and learning through failure right if you can avoid those falls it's better for you fantastic awesome thanks for this uh, insights uh, anurag talk to us a little bit about your uh, you know your insight sales uh, approach on you know you are selling to enterprises uh, you know i do know that uh, you know in india you were pretty active across all the marketing face to face industry forums uh, you know you had a you know a, I used to be in touch with Roshan, so I know that uh, you know you guys were very active in the exhibition space as a channel to you know to meet your potential customers. So, what were some of the other methods that you that you enabled to enhance the true lead generation or to create demand? Was it predominantly the exhibitions as a channel, or you know you had also you also had your own field sales? Uh, teams to kind of go out and uh, meet these enterprise customers in the financial services. Yeah. Uh, no, so great question. So what, one of the things, uh, and this kind of goes hand in hand with identifying the ICP, right? Because the uh, moment you realize what ICP is you're, you need to be focused on, whether, and if, if you think about it, right, there's these SMEs, there's the mid-market, there's the enterprises and there are different uh, you know different strokes for different folks right if you think about even the way salesforce grew it was all sme mid market till maybe about 7 10 years ago is really when they started focusing on enterprise <clears throat> before that it was always sme and mid market right and a lot of companies do that so it depends on where you want to start off from and there are pros and cons right uh, based on your product fitment uh, what i have realized is uh, at least for the product that we had the cost of sales was roughly the same irrespective of whether you sell to a mid market or uh, so sme was something we were anyway not fit for purpose but when we sell to a mid market or we sell to an enterprise it made just more sense for us from a customer lifetime value 
and the whole you know the you know the clv to cac ratio kind of thing it just made sense for us to focus on enterprise um so that refined our inside sales philosophy as well because when we are looking at a uh, minimum 11 touch points in an enterprise for going and doing a complex sales process you need coverage as well right so we need to be able to right. go out and talk to different people and all that so uh, so how do you define the metrics for inside sales people is it is it based on just meeting setup is it based on opportunities created uh, is it based on uh, funnel movement or closures and that gets refined over time as well right and again it really depends on what you are looking to optimize your inside sales funnel for <clears throat> right uh, and but that's also kind of the what metrics that are set in place and what behaviors they drive so as we realized for example our journey was that we realized that okay we want to just focus on named accounts right now if i've got 20 named accounts i cannot possibly be having uh, people just talking about pipeline being created right because if it is an inside sales person and he's managed to get these 11 or 12 people assigned you know he's got meetings for the sales people over there but the pipe is still the same right so <clears throat> can you penalize him on not generating enough pipe right and we right. and they were so i think inside sales was one of the place where we went through the most iterations in the last um, how many about uh, 12 quarters right uh we've had right. different kras different kpis we've we've iterated with that and <clears throat> finally we have come to a point where we have kept a very very uh, optimized um uh you know inside sales function and since you know roshan you know we kind of moved it within a function called demand generation and demand generation is basically anything to do with top of funnel so we try and right. uh, run a lot of above the line below the line kind of uh, marketing um activities which for inbound it basically you know is pushed into these inside sales teams which is a very limited number of team right and they then help uh, in generating the reach outs into the existing or the existing pipe within a certain account or within these named accounts the other thing that we've realized over time is that a lot of the countries that you want to get out into right um having a local inside sales just makes a lot of sense <laughs> really um uh and you know some 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 of the countries it's just uh, especially if you're selling to mid market or enterprise sme is again a different ball game but if you're selling to mid market or enterprise just think about it right the number of companies that are existing in in software or services in india and all of them have inside sales functions and all of them are calling the same list of companies that you are identifying and targeting right so i mean you sometimes speak to us you know a cio or a uh, you know head of business for example and uh, they sometimes get like 20 calls a day right or 20 messages a day asking them for uh, do you have a problem i can solve or do you have 5 minutes where i can block time with you right, uh, right. <clears throat> so even the messaging and all that and that's a separate session you know we can always talk a little bit about that one of the things that uh, one of the things we try to do to even improve the rate of conversion was improving the the uh, was changing the messaging that we were actually writing in the initial outreach emails um but all that has kind of got refined over time so we have come to a point where we are now very focused on account based marketing mostly catering to qualifying inbound leads 
and uh, then focusing on localized regional inside sales to facilitate meetings for the sales teams wonderful it's excellent talk to us a little bit about uh, you know the <clears throat> the channel partner ecosystem right uh, when do you when do you start building your partnerships uh, you know as as a as a growth stage uh, startup will it does it help to build it too early in your life cycle even before you build out your sales team or you know or you have seen great results when you have a lot more clarity on who your icp is or when you're trying to reach out to markets where you don't have presence what what has been your experiences and you know your some of your lessons learned from that space yeah no it's it's a good question because i've been in singapore for like 13 years now i've been covering the asia market for that much time and um it surprises me how even after so many years of uh, asia pack experience i still come across uh, you know so many partners who keep promising the world right and sometimes you get duped by it uh, you know you'll find a partner who promises to <clears throat> take you into a philippines or a myanmar or something and says or oh, you know i got 50 i got a call once from a guy who said i know everyone in fiji and uh, you know we can just go ahead and <clears throat> cover the market and everything so i think this the fundamental uh, which is why i started the conversation with icp right i think finding out the your sweet spot making sure that you you understand what you want to achieve right in that particular market which are the key customers you're really after i think that's a really good starting point and uh, the other thing that we have started getting into is looking at <clears throat> account based partnerships so what i mean by that is once you have a say a named list of accounts right it's not that difficult to be able to figure out through different ways and means who are the key system integrators who are the key people for example if it's a bank which is implemented uh, you know infosys core banking so you know infosys is an existing partner then all you need to do right. is look at okay infosys is working with which local system integrator so it's very easy to find out okay this local system integrator is clearly entrenched in that account then you kind of call them up and try and see what you can do with them which are the other accounts that they have right <clears throat> so there are smarter ways of kind of wading you know go shifting through the weeds if you will uh, from each of these countries and identifying the right reselling partner uh, the right referral partner um and you got to have different percentages for this referral basically means i'll introduce you but i don't want anything to do with the contract or support reseller basically means i will uh, bundle you and i will you know be your front face i'll handle l1 support and i'll manage uh, everything for you in this customer and couple of key customers and um, yeah the uh, the third category i've found are rainmakers advisors so that's something that we are thinking of quite um, uh you know quite seriously especially and again our business is different especially because we are very focused now on a, on very few key named enterprises i mean um and that's really our our growth so for that we need strong rain makers right in some of the markets that we operate right. in uh but so you may want to look at that and obviously a partner strategy is very dependent upon how open is the platform that you have created as well right if you uh if your self services or your administration console is not that well refined where partners can build something on top of it um then maybe it can't be customized by partners in which case they just become pure reselling partners but they can't really do any implementation 
So you need to be clear right. about all of that when you have those conversations with the partners. Um, how easy is it for your for your solution to be replicated by different partners in these local countries, right? Sometimes that's also a scary thing. Um, <clears throat> and uh, from a partnership point of view, the last piece of learning that I've had, and not just in Vimeo, but in other countries as other companies I've worked with as well, it's again the KPIs and the and the and the metrics that you look for measuring the success that you've defined for your partnerships, right? cannot be pure revenue based in the first year because you know think about it bimlesh you have also done a few startups you go to a, a partner and says okay i want to be partners why don't you show me your list of customers and let's talk no one does that right, right. No, one, no one wants to give you their customers and even if they believe it's an amazing fitment for a complementary product they will never voluntarily take you to their customers so the first year it's always about really just identifying this you know one or two key opportunities that you can work on make that a success and then kind of build on top of it so partnership in my head is a uh, is a good strategic play but it's a patient waiting game and a lot of folks um, tend to miss this out but at the same time they're only also focused on strategy so you got to find a line a, a midline and the midline is normally finding or isolating identifying one or two customers that you can work on with that partner make that a success and then grow from there i would never advise trying to work with a partner without having a reference customer to talk about all right absolutely fantastic do you also advise uh, having some sort of a partner toolkit ready in terms of your preparedness to engage a partner so that the partner has a great offboarding experience uh including training collaterals etc uh, etc et right yeah so that's something we were never we were never built for purpose on that and uh we um we started a whole partnership function only last year so december last year we hired a senior gentleman who's running our asia pacific alliances and he's built the entire partner uh, you know onboarding and program from scratch uh we are working with our product teams to also now create a complete uh, certification program right in terms of uh, what was what does it take for a partner to really get certified before they become a certain category right silver gold platinum whatever uh, we are obviously taking right. inspiration from a lot of established software companies who are already doing that uh, so finding out this partner programs is also pretty um, straightforward there's a lot of publicly available information on how you can onboard your partner and make their journey a more seamless to work with your product fantastic great moving on talk to us uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, cadence and forecasting where uh, you know what are your touch points uh, you know from a sales uh, point of view one one is internal cadence uh, you know your sales reviews and you know something that you do with partners and with your customers and then we'll get into forecasting yeah i think definitely goes hand in hand uh, you know uh, again i was very fortunate i started my sales career with microsoft and that set up a lot of uh, i was telling you bimlesh the science of selling right so you understand so to be able to understand what does the sales process look like how do you progress from one sales stage to another what should be the entry criteria for one sales stage how do you move to another sales stage um and uh, when i joined vimo that 
that sales process was not there so it was very much uh, you know uh, it was literally run like a proper startup right it was a startup and so one of the first few things i had to do was uh, work with you know get in sales ops and work with them to kind of try and put this whole sales process in place and the sales process uh, we defined like a you know seven eight step sales process uh, seven step process from initiation of a deal which is an mql to an sql marketing qualified lead to a sales qualified lead and then validation identification solutioning all the way to closure and for each of the sales steps we identified certain fields that are mandatory fields to get and certain activities that are mandatory activities to happen in that stage before it can be progressed to the next stage so putting all this data in uh, you know underlying crm is something that is obviously something that cadence will drive uh, now what we do from a cadence point of view is again it depends on how you're looking to uh, create as a sales plan for your sales people right so i'll give you a simplistic example if you have a sales guy who has to do a million in revenues right uh, typically industry average you need the guy to have the guy or girl to have about uh, 4.5 to 5 uh, x is as the uh, cover for them to be able to do 1 mil now now if you want to be able to do 4.5 to 5 mil in pipeline you need to be able to do about 80 to 100k of pipeline addition per week right very simple maths so now if you just get together with your sales teams every or your inside sales teams every monday and take a stock of all the activities that they did the previous week the pipe that they added the previous week and also review the pipe the activities that they're going to do that week right uh, it gives a very simplified view of uh, you know have we been able to add enough pipe ytd uh, for getting right. you to that number and second is uh, what are the activities that you're outlining for this week so that next monday when i talk to you again i know what activities you have done which have led to a pipeline addition right so to that extent i look at activities as uh, pipeline building activities and sales activities sales activities are those activities that uh, are for existing sales uh, items in pipeline or funnel and pipeline building is for any activity to a prospect it could even be a marketing event right but that's an activity now from that activity right. has there something that's flowed in through the sql mql right um and yeah so once you measure that on a weekly basis you realize that the engine keeps on going so one of the things i i never miss and i hate missing is my monday set cadence calls so i have so i do cadence calls with all the different regions with all the different regional sales teams the sales teams are becoming bigger so it's uh, taking up a lot of my mondays but uh, it really helps in driving the uh, you know the the science behind the the selling right and people are constantly then filling up the pipe and we know where and we know and this also in a way feeds forecasting because you already know which regions are not able to add pipe and which are and uh, <clears throat> based on that then you can have a judicious view of uh, you know where certain regions will end up as uh, and that influences forecasting forecasting for us uh, again if you take a simplified view of forecasting sorry before that cadence uh, so that's the weekly cadence and then we try and do a quarterly business review where we look at uh, two quarters down the line what is the pipe for or the commit pipe for the next quarter and the pipe after so in fact last week we finished our qbrs for ond as well as jfm 
which allows us to get a six monthly view of uh, what the overall pipe looks like. So we can get a very realistic uh, forecasting done on the on the current queue and get a rough idea of the queue plus one. Right. Um, so we have a good view of OND already. We have a decent view of JFM. And when we get into JFM, we'll have a good view of JFM as well as AMJ. <clears throat> so it's something like that. And um, okay. January, February, March, April, May, June. Correct. Sorry. Yes, that's right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, um, so and that kind of leads to the forecasting capabilities, right? Because when you're forecasting, then it's uh, important to be able to look at deals at what stages and uh, what at what accuracy levels can you really say that and what surety can you say that this is going to actually close, right? right. Uh, so we look at uh, deals only above say 80% can even be forecasted for that quarter. Otherwise, they're not they can't they can't even be forecasted. So we've got a rule against that, right? Similarly, only if it is between 60 to 80, can it be even put in best case? And the last is anything which is not in best case or commit should not be existing in the current quarter pipeline forecast forecasting wise. So got those it. are a few things. I got a few thumbs up. <laughs> Fantastic. So I think uh, let's let's take a pause here and uh, you know seek uh, questions if there are any from you know, from the audience at this point in time on ICP uh, you know business development getting your first few. Uh, you know, customers on board, and so on and so forth. Talk to us a little bit about uh, you know the uh, you know sales closing aspects of it, right? Now your now your teams have done. That's always the hardest part, right? No matter what you forecast, uh, you, you know I like the way that you said on you know forecasting on a two quarter basis, hmm. right? Uh, and not trying to extend uh, beyond two quarters. So talk to us uh, talk to us about your uh, you know, sales cycle, from duration, your average sales cycle, and you know, what are the, some of the things that you have seen from a sales closure point of view? The challenges and some of your tactics that have worked. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, again, it depends on uh, you know how much, how well do you actually use your uh, CRM? Because again, the data is really in the. In, I mean, the devil's in the details, right? So if you can look at more data, the better it is. So one of the things, for example, is as I spoke to you about earlier, right? We do, we try and put in two levels of uh, activities. So there's sales activities and pipeline activities, and those get tagged to either an opportunity or an account. Now, when right. I look at opportunities, I can then see the aging of the opportunities, and I can see the last activity or how many days since last activity on that particular opportunity or particular account. So that gives a very clear idea on. Um, how many uh, weeks or months has it been for a particular account uh, where no one's even spoken to them or touched base with them? And similarly, uh, it also gives a view of uh, what stage is a particular opportunity at before, uh, since you know, since it's been touched, right? So if it's been 90 days and a particular opportunity is in the same stage, and it's been 70 days since there's been any activity against them or even more than 30 days that you've done any activity against that opportunity. Clearly, it's not moving fast enough, right? right. So that kind of helps me understand the velocity of the sales funnel. Um, and it, it's a very grounded way of getting the velocity because that helps you really identify which is the real opportunities and which are the ones which are just there for filler, right? <clears throat> and right. Um, 
that then uh, helps in pushing it towards the closure side and then you of course have to do what you normally do right get involved in the high velocity moving opportunities try and figure out what you can move from best case to commit get personally involved um, i mean before covid i was literally in a one country per week it was quite crazy so uh, yeah so the last 6 uh, 7 months i've been grounded here and this is a new reality of working with customers pushing them for closure despite being uh, remote right um, and the point is i think what i've realized is especially when you're dealing with sales teams right uh, there is a little man to man mapping that is required there is a little bit of a role definition that is required to be played out at uh, and and simple examples right now now for whatever it's worth if in a particular opportunity my ceo has got exposed in that opportunity well ahead of time uh, they will only want to talk to the ceo no one wants to talk to my sales guy or the sales director or to me or to anybody else right they bring your ceo right so there is this element where you have to be very clear in your uh, accounts um, who is mapped to who so one of the starting points in any named account definition is always good to understand uh, their org structure identify who are the key people those 10 11 connections that you need to be able to close something and uh, who are the key people who should be engaging over there and a combination of a bunch of this and of course our uh, standard age old hustling which is the art of selling uh, will always all of this will kind of come together and make the deal happen fantastic all right we got uh, two questions thank you smitha and karthik kudos to you a uh, question from karthik penetrating to a new market via partnership sounds exciting and promising but it isn't that straightforward mainly due to lack of product awareness language barrier operational hurdles and trust factor how did you guys take care of it at vimo yeah i mean see again so i had a lot of local connects in different countries so that kind of helped with the trust factor um, <clears throat> but i uh, you know so karthik i see you with exotel right so we in fact work with exotel in a couple of banks in india and um, i can understand what you're saying right because when you talk to local partners and it's it's sometimes very difficult to uh, move the weeds away from the uh, from the actual grain because people are going to be constantly telling you about stuff that they can take care of uh, the simplest way i have seen now is to have that account based strategy so if you know which are the top 10 accounts you want to really get into that suppose you're going into vietnam for example right and you know these are the top 10 accounts based on your research based on your icp uh, these are the top 10 accounts i really want to focus on uh, it's it's very easy to get some you know some market research folks or Uh, some inside sales folks to very quickly pull out a list of all the system integrators the key isvs the key resellers who really operate on those markets and who work with those accounts and then of course you have to go there and you have to do what it takes right the standard you know setting up the awareness and all of that stuff um the good news is uh, most of the countries at least now are very open to uh they always have especially in alliances they'll have somebody who really understands english uh <clears throat> and uh, even if the rest of the company doesn't they'll always make sure that they're fairly open to doing that in fact that's maybe a first sign of knowing how open they are to partnering with you but yeah it's not been easy and uh, you know we have struggled a lot as well 
we've had partners uh, created where we've lost two three deals in a row before we figured out that something is wrong is going on with this partner or we've had uh, partners which on paper say that they're going to do really well and uh, like i said even me being in uh, asia for so many years uh, sometimes i get clouded right in terms of which partner can actually do well for us uh, but so i think over time we just got extremely clear the more refined the icp can be the more targeted your customers can be uh, finding out those partners becomes that much easier next question uh, how do you find new customers in the remote world yeah we covered quite a bit of that on the whole uh, ideal customer profile bit um, so i'll give you a simple example right um, when vimo started off and this is not this will not be a repeat for the others but when we started off looking outside of india right so the uh, yamini our ceo she had sold to a couple of banks insurance companies in india we felt okay roughly we want to be with banks and insurances let's talk to them right and a lot of calls were made all over asia she used to fly in and out different countries pre sales used to go in and out and we identified a couple of key opportunities in hong kong and singapore which you would assume is a very a good market to get in right because it's hong kong and singapore very developed and they should be able to be open to technology and things should move now again because our icp was not very well defined uh, what we failed to realize and this was before i had joined so when i just joined and we started looking at this whole icp defining the first thing i looked at was what kind of customers are we really the strongest at and what are the characteristics of those customers that that have made us so indispensable to them right and the important thing was to then identify what where, which countries are those similar kind of customers in and uh, to me it was very evident when i joined that the most imminent markets for us should be the ones that mimic india because india is where we have actually uh, grown and our product is tested and tried and you know it's been successful so for me in indonesia thailand and vietnam was a no brainer to immediately get into so and as it would have it that's exactly where we have all our established customers in asia and despite two years of trying singapore and hong kong we still not closed any single deal we don't have any customers there regional offices sit over there but our our product is not fit for purpose for these markets that's something that we have realized for the in asia but in the same breath our product is extremely fit for purpose for japan which is a developed market but it's picked up like crazy over there in terms of interest and closures and all that so there is a little bit of uh, punting and trying to figure it out and hustling to figure out you know in this remote world and new world how do you go after those customers but i think it really eventually comes down to having a very strong definition of your icp uh, your ideal customer profile and trying to figure out where which countries uh, does that ideal customer profile mimic and the the more targeted and focused you can get uh, you know the 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 more success you're going to have it's very easy to just go all over the place and say oh you know someone has an interest uh, and i look back two and a half years some of the companies that we have tried to close deals in and which we've even closed deals in and then they pulled out after 6 months of working it's just been crazy i don't now i look back and think why did we ever do those deals it made no sense so saas is all about land and expand right so when we when we talk about this you know especially with large enterprises support is also becoming critical 
and you know pre-sales is also critical on how do you customize a solution to their business use case and uh, you know make it feel that this solution solves their enterprise specific problems so talk to us a little bit as to how you have made uh, you know uh, pre-sales sales and post sales which is customer success work together to you know to manage renewals to manage your pipeline to move uh, through yeah sure so i i call this the holy trinity because i really believe uh, you know sales technical pre-sales and customer success especially in a new territory is extremely important um so we looked at uh, and this is like a pod of three people right so this also helps you identify which countries and territories you want to be in because it's not that simple and we made this mistake of opening for example in when we set up when we started looking at asia pack we set up uh, in australia and we went and hired one salesperson there but then we know this is not going to be the end right because a salesperson at some point in the sales cycle will require a technical help at some level during the deployment you need customer success project management coming in so there are real costs that you have to think through when you're actually getting into a new territory um so in an existing territory like in india or wherever you're already at right it's very straightforward to um continue to deliver and you know keep hiring based on requirements but when we are getting into a new territory these three really need to be something that you have projected for in your cash flow sheet and you understand the rough costs of this and in in some cases you are even recovering these costs from the customer right from the initial customer the other thing that i typically have done is we have never um yeah we have only one instance where we have invested in a territory before a deal has been signed so we have always tried to which maybe goes back to smita's question of remote selling as well uh you know flying in and out um was something that we used to do and uh, only once we know we're close to a deal and then you know that you have to kind of scale up in that geography that's when we have done the local hiring right so uh, that's something that we have done and the other learning that i have had generally of all of us are in you know the tech sector and building tech based products um, sometimes whatever you're building is very very proprietary for uh, yourself right and getting someone to technically learn that and articulate that to the customer and customize it for them is a challenge right and very few people get it which is why they become the technical pre sales which who have to work maybe sometimes with your r&d team sitting wherever you are uh, so the big learning that we have had is generally local pre sales does not work so if you can still hire local sales you can still hire local customer success but my view now is and i could be wrong but my general view is uh, local pre sales doesn't work it's easier to train pre sales from india and have them fly in and out or train them in india and relocate them to some other place assuming you're an indian startup right <clears throat> and um, yeah and i think the only thing was that from a covid like before covid hit we were lucky because most of the regions were already staffed for us like i said you know vietnam thailand indonesia singapore japan uh, us we already had people uh, and we when we looked at people we looked at this pod of three people so we already have that staff uh, which has allowed us to continue local operations fantastic cool
doctors a little bit about uh, you know account management uh, anurag how do you how do you structure that uh, yeah. you you spoke about uh, you know key accounts being managed uh, account yeah. based marketing strategy <coughs> to acquire accounts yeah so how do you structure your sales teams to chase after uh, you know named accounts or even strategic accounts or new yeah. logos yeah how different are these are they the same are they different yeah so i have uh, yeah i have roughly found see all of us are have to be in a constant mode of uh, hunting right even if you get into an existing customer going and talking about a subsequent opportunity is also like hunting for business so traditionally all of us are hunters at heart right if we are getting as entrepreneurs or uh, people who are building out businesses um the the key difference that i've seen is uh, when you get into farming right uh, which is an existing customer now you want to look at different lines of businesses try and make them better it's inherently important to start identifying people in your organization or maybe recruiting people who are more built uh, grounds up in managing one customer where they really enjoy working with that customer trying to make them successful as a customer from a business perspective now why i'm saying business perspective is because typically at least in a lot of saas companies uh, customer success has a huge role to play especially when you uh, in terms of renewals in terms of adoption in terms of engagement um, and what we were very clear about when i joined uh, there was no customer success division we didn't have anything part of the reason why we did not have a huge customer delight everywhere we were always in a rush to close deals and deliver them and move on to the next one so we had a bunch of uh, those two sales guys that we had really good hunters but no one really who's sitting with the customer making sure that they're helping them grow better so one of the so last year we uh, we had a chief customer officer join us and he's built out a whole customer success organization right which is the whole post sales kind of an organization and uh, one of the key distinctions is those people cannot be construed as sales so under no circumstances does your customer success person should or uh, should he he or she be having a conversation on uh, contracts because uh, the whole point of customer success is to be agnostic to uh, contractual obligations and to just do what's right for the customer to succeed now if there are contractual obligations or there are repercussions on uh, you know on uh, on some sort of licensing or something that is up for the sales person to take up right and it is very difficult for us to find sales people who are uh, you know hunters but at the same time they're very good at managing accounts as well and working hand in hand with a virtual team of customer success and solution delivery and pre sales in increasing that account right so uh, and it again depends on your philosophy right in your company like our company philosophy is uh, to get into every account and try and increase our penetration across various lines of businesses and try and do whatever we can with that customer to get them to uh, in fact customize more with them so that it's difficult uh, you know it, the cost of replacement becomes very difficult right in a way to be frank about it and for mm -hmm. that customer success is very important and account management is very important and their fundam a lot of people use these terms interchangeably and just drawing out the line it's very important to be sure that your customer success team are pure 
evangelists and the pure uh, ad- you know uh, business oriented people uh, who stay away from all sales conversations got it now a related question has come up what's the sales team size to customer success team ratio it uh, depends on the the stage that you're at uh, but if you get into a new territory for example i would actually feel from uh the first customer that you start engaging with you need a customer success person right now do you really need a customer success person for the next three accounts maybe not right but then that's something you'll have to figure out based on the loading factor of uh per you know of of the number of accounts to customer success and how much they get involved in every place uh we typically look at about uh, three or four customers uh per customer success person um and sales also is roughly in the same figure so in some of the uh, so currently we have about nine or customer success folks and about uh, 16 so about 1 is to 2 is what i'm thinking of as a, as a ratio okay wonderful thanks anurag i think um, before we come to the end i wanted to cover the last uh, topic uh talk to us about uh, renewals right about renewals is is very vital for a saas uh, company mm. right and keeping the churn rates uh, you know much lower because your cost of acquisition of every enterprise customer is high and you would want them to stick around with you for you know as long as possible so yeah. what have been some of the strategies that have worked for you uh, you know what lessons you have also learned from these renewal cycles uh, over these 4 uh, years Yeah, that Vimeo has been around. <clears throat> yeah, so um, so there's just one question. I'll quickly have timeline to crack a new account from your experience depends on the space. Six to nine months uh, for enterprises, SMEs can obviously be lesser. Uh, but yeah, there are some enterprises again depending on which uh, market you go into, it could be even twelve months to eighteen months. So uh, you need that much cash flow. You need that much patience to be able to manage that out. uh but yeah the covering the last topic on renewals um one of the things that i always felt we could do a little bit uh, we could have done a lo- always a lot better is just ensuring customer delight you know from the time we actually uh, start engaging with a customer getting them really really excited and happy about what we are doing <clears throat> and then moving on and uh that does impact renewals in some place uh, at the same time having customer success brought in early i think smita had asked this question if you bring in customer success earlier on into an organization or an engagement what happens is you start driving that delight and more importantly you start measuring the roi that you are having on that customer right what is the because on paper if they are paying you something rest assured they are making five times more right <clears throat> and they'll never tell you that but when you have customer success in there you know the real trigger points you understand the key value you understand the journeys that they're taking with your solution you understand the overall roi and the business impact that your solution is having having right now when it comes to renewal uh, the one of the key things is working maybe 6 months or maybe earlier than that in identifying what is the business impact and the value that you are driving so that uh, that can be championed maybe 3 months in advance or 4 months in advance before renewal and this is something that will help you get a bump up in pricing or getting a bump up in the additions that they're using so if they have a basic version of a software that they're using you want to bump them up to something more 
you know we have been very successful in doubling tripling our uh, arr from customers <clears throat> purely on the back of uh, being able to show them value uh, and saying that hey we're delivering value these are the other things that we're going to give to you in the next 2 3 years uh, make it worth our while yeah right? and it's uh, it's so a very healthy conversation you typically going for single year contracts you go for multi year three year five year contracts what's your strategy to push so uh, it's easier said than done to go in for a three year contract unless it's like a psu or it's an rfp situation where they ask for a three year contract right where it's def- definite that they have this initiative there's a three year budget assigned um, <clears throat> so it depends again on what your software is or what te- what com- what kind of a startup you have uh, but typically most companies i've seen are only happy giving a purchase order for one year uh, which is again okay. pros and cons cons being uh, it's a one year contract pros are that you can give a one year pricing and if you've genuinely delivered value second year you can figure out your pricing right a better pricing got it fantastic anurag this has been awesome conversation with you yeah we had this one question from uh, from smita as a sustainability startup we are being told by a few europe and uh, us are a better market for us is remote selling possible and different from international markets do we do we necessarily need to build a local partner for sales yeah i think it goes back to the whole advisory based stuff and it goes back to that whole target list account based selling thing which i was talking about if you can identify your top 10 accounts that you want to get into uh, in terms of uh, uh, a contract and if you can figure out either rainmakers who are connected to those 10 accounts or if you can figure out uh, key resellers or referral partners that you can work with for those key accounts uh, that would be the only reason for going and making a partnership uh, thing otherwise uh, doing a simple google search and trying to reach out to as many partners is not a great strategy at all and a lot of people will promise a lot of things but things it just doesn't happen uh, the other thing that i would advise against is doing exclusivity partnerships <clears throat> all right i think we'll come to uh, the end of this webinar right now and uh, you know thank you so much anurag it's been wonderful having this conversation with you my pleasure uh, nice talking to you thanks pramesh yeah absolutely thanks anurag once again thanks a lot pramesh lovely talking to you